Lord, we thank you this morning because that's absolutely true. You are awesome in power. You have overcome even death itself. You walked out alive. And you promised to each one of us the strength, the victory. You promised to each one of us as we humble ourselves before you, as we give ourselves completely to you, that you'll fight our battles, you'll win our victories, and you will take us to a promised land. Father, we ask today, help us to live strong and courageous lives that just bring glory to your name, rely on you for everything, and know that in you, our lives can mean everything. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You go and have a seat this morning as we watch the screens and get ready for the word. A battle rages between British colonial troops and an alliance of Native American tribes. Two-thirds of the Redcoats die. Of the officers, only one remains. He becomes the specific target of the sharpshooting braves. Thirteen times the order is given to shoot him down. Twice the horse is shot out from under him. Eventually the order to kill him is withdrawn, for the natives recognize that he is a favorite of heaven, protected by the Great Spirit. After the battle, the British officer removes his cloak to discover not one, not two, but four bullet holes. Yet he has not a single mark on his skin. He too acknowledges that the hand of God protected him. In later years, he would become the commanding general of the Continental Army and the first president of the United States. Today, we honor George Washington with a single unadorned obelisk that rises to a height of almost 556 feet. It towers above the D.C. landscape, and it is one of the tallest structures in the world. It was modeled after the Egyptian obelisk, a four-sided monolithic pillar standing upright and capped in a pyramid. Both the obelisk and the pyramid were sacred constructions to the Egyptians. Built by slaves, adorned with magic spells, and maintained by cultic priests, it was said they contained sacred mysteries which would transform the men they honored into gods. As impressive in construction and design as these stone monuments may be, in the end they rise to remember those who were, after all, merely mortal. It's probably not surprising to us to hear that story about George Washington and realize that when the battle was over, when the victory was won, and, you know, he's inspecting his coat to discover those bullet holes, and yet uh, knowing that he was absolutely physically unharmed. It, it probably wasn't a big leap for him in light of that kind of victory to understand that um, God indeed had his hand uh, on his life. But... I suspect that in that moment of that one battle, Washington probably didn't realize the overall significance that his life would ultimately have of leading a whole new nation. Um, I suspect the same is probably true for this guy named Joshua that we're going to again look at today and, and kind of finish up the series with. That on a day when he too fought a, a battle, the first battle, uh, and won a victory that he probably didn't realize that as he was acting strong and courageous, what God was doing in that first battle, 
that would ultimately lead him to become the one who would lead God's people into the promised land. As we're looking at it for the last time today and experiencing Joshua for the last time, um, my hope is that by the time we're done this morning, uh, you have a similar experience, that uh, you can live that strong and courageous life and face whatever battle you have to face in your life, knowing that there's a victory there that will ultimately lead you to something even greater that God has in store for your life. Now, having said that, now we need to kind of start at the beginning and try to move you to that place, right? If we start at the beginning, it's to go to uh, Exodus 17 and see what's going on in the life of the people of Israel, right? And uh, the reality is that, that they're going to act strong and courageous, this Joshua guy. one more, He's going to step up, be strong and courageous. But there's an observation in the midst of that that just reminds us that if you're going to live a strong and courageous life, you have to expect you're going to have opposition. You know, we've talked about it before. Opposition is going to rise. And if we look at the experience of God's people, we'll, we'll see that that's happened, you know, already. We're in Exodus 17, by the way. And so if you brought your Bibles and you want to get into the Word there, your own book, just get to Exodus 17. That's where we'll spend most of the time. Uh, grab that handout that's in the, you know, the, the sheet that's in the handout there. You can follow along, too. But what you'll see is if you go along with now, you know, God has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, right, with a mighty arm. And uh, they've, they've had repeated experiences of opposition, right? So they, so they bring them, <laughs> he brings them out of Egypt, and right away, you know, Pharaoh is on their tail. And it takes God's kind of miraculous action at the Red Sea to part the waters and have them walk through on dry ground and, of course, devour uh, devour uh, Pharaoh's army, and then they get out into the wilderness, and they're and they're wandering and moving towards Mount Sinai, the place of the covenant, and, and they realize, whoa, we forgot to pack food, right? This is a problem in the wilderness, right? They forgot to pack food, and so God does another miraculous thing and provides them with manna. He provides them with quail, and uh, now they've moved so far that they're at Rephidim, and by Exodus 17, they're camped. And they have another problem, another opposition rises up. This time it's water, right? They're, they're out there in the middle of the des desert, and they realize we're out of water. This is not a good thing in the desert. Do you agree? And they're out of water. So once again, it takes God working in a miraculous way to deal with the opposition that's happening in his people's lives. And if you pick it up in Exodus 17... Uh, that's where the story begins for us. It says, uh, The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Now, underline that, circle that, whatever you need to do. you got to remember this experience. And you got to remember what Moses uses. Okay, He's using a staff. But it's not just any staff. What staff is he using? The one he used down in Egypt when he did the miracle of turning the Nile into blood, right? So God is saying, listen, go get the stick, okay? Get the stick, okay? Get the stick, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to stand before you. That's important. I'm going to stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out, and the people will be able to drink. Okay, so get the picture. You ready? The people don't have water. They're complaining because they 
don't have water. They're in trouble because they don't have water. They're in the middle of the wilderness, and there is no water. And here's the plan. Here's the plan. Moses, take a stick and hit a rock. Oh, and by the way, Moses, go get a group of elders and talk them into the plan. Bring them along with you on the plan. And then the elders and you go stand in front of the whole nation of Israel and tell them what I'm going to do and strike the rock and you're going to get water. Nice plan. Okay, put yourself as one of those guys out there in the nation of Israel, right? You're dying of thirst. You think God's brought you out here to die. And Moses stands up in front of him and says, Don't worry, I got a plan. God's told me a plan. Here's the plan. I got my stick, and I'm going to strike the rock, and we're all going to get water. And you say, right. That's the plan? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows you don't get water out of a rock, right? I mean, everybody knows you don't get water out of a rock. And besides that, all you're going to use is a stick. But that's the plan. Isn't that always the way when opposition comes in front of us? When oppositions come in front of us, we get, we get so focused on the opposition that we forget the ability of what God can do if we give God absolute and utter control. Can you imagine Moses? Okay, elders, now uh, listen, you need to come along with me on this one. I know it's going to sound a little crazy, but here's what the Lord told me to do. I need, I need you to stand with me on this, okay? We're all going to stand in front of the people of Israel, and, uh, you know, I know your credibility is going to be on the line here, but just come along with me on this one. We're going to stand in front of the people. I got my stick. I'm going to hit the rock. We're all going to get water. You buying into that? Isn't it so hard for us to buy into that? I mean, can you buy into the principle? that God can do in your life what you can't do for yourself? Can you buy into the principle that God can do in your life what you can't do for yourself? So, Moses struck the rock, and as he was told, he did it, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. <laughs> what did God do? What seemed absolutely impossible. They're in an overwhelming situation. And God does what seems absolutely impossible. Because Moses is willing to subject himself absolutely and totally to the will of God. He acts strong and courageous. Right? All right, now fast forward. Water gushes out. The people of Israel got so much water, they can bathe in it. They can wash their clothes for the first time since leaving Egypt. They got water all over the place, okay? Things are good. The opposition is gone. And the next thing happens. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, basking in the water, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. So things finally even out. They're exhausted and weary from the long journey they finally got water to quench their thirst. And what happens? Another problem. Another problem. Isn't that the way it is? 
You think you got life evened out? You think you finally got it together? And what happens? Another problem. Opposition raises itself again. That's the way it is for them. That's the way it is for us. That's the way it is in a broken world. You think you got it all figured out? You think you got life squared away? And all of a sudden, what happens? Another problem. Opposition rises. For them, it's Amalek. Who is Amalek? Well, if you go to Deuteronomy 25, it describes even further what's going on. It says, Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. So what's happening? They're being attacked from the rear, okay, from behind, and they're picking off the stragglers. The problem is they have no fear. These Amalekites that are attacking, they have no fear of God. Why would they have no fear of God? Something else is going on. You ready? Here's the way it goes. You have to understand who the Amalekites are. So we start out with Abraham, right? Abraham uh, has a kid, and that's what? Isaac. And Isaac has two kids, and that's who? Jacob and Esau. You with me, Old Testament people? <laughs> Jacob and Esau, okay? Jacob has 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, all of which are represented at Rephidim while they're camping, right? So there's the whole 12 tribes of Israel. They're all there, all Jacob's gang, all gathered together. Esau also has sons. Esau has some sons. And the eldest of Esau's son, he also has a son, and guess who the grandson is? That's right. It is Amalek. What's happening? They're tired. They're weary. They've been through opposition after opposition. And what happens? The relatives show up. Oh, boy. <laughs> the relatives show up. And not only do they show up, but the relatives show up with an axe to grind because they remember they remember what happened to grandpa remember Jacob and Esau and Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of stew and Jacob tricks his father to receive the blessing that should have gone to Esau and they haven't forgotten. So they show up with an axe to grind. And we can even see how that follows all the way through to the point that in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews would remember the animosity that's going on in this experience in Exodus 17. In Hebrews it says, Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessings... He was rejected. So the Amalekites show up with an axe to grind. And the people of Israel are tired and they're weary and they finally get water. But now another problem comes. This is the way it is, is it not? Problems just keep coming. Opposition just keeps rising up. I mean, it's part of the experience of our broken world. It is part of the experience of our own lives. The reality is that many of you right now have a battle that you should be fighting. 
a lot of you right now have a battle that's going on in your life. Some of you have a battle that you're ignoring in your life. If you look at the experience of the, the people of Israel, the Amalekites attacked. They didn't do anything. This was way back to the guys before, right? To Esau and Jacob. But they show up and opposition arises and they have to deal with the situation. That's the way it is. You have to deal with the situation. And so it is for them. If you're going to live a strong and courageous life, it's because you are ready to step out and step into the battle. You've got to be willing to step out. You've got to be willing to step into the battle. Okay? If you look at Exodus 17 again, it says, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I'll stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Opposition is, is present. There is a battle that needs to be dealt with. Does Moses say, well, you know, this is an ugly battle. I mean, this is going to be a tough battle. So I'll tell you what, let's just load everybody up and we'll ignore the battle. We'll just, we'll just move as fast as we can to try to outrun it. No, he does not. Moses says, Joshua, listen, we've got to face the battle. See, some of you, you, you could sit down today and take a blank piece of paper and you could write down all the oppositions going on in your life. And some of you have some big oppositions that you've been ignoring for a long time in your life. And, and it's time to stop. You've you got to be strong and you've got to be courageous. And you've got to step out and you've got to step into the battle. Because here's the truth. You ready? Here's the truth. You will never be able to move into the promised land that God has in store for you, the ultimate victory that he has in store for you, until you fight the first battle. Does this make sense? You, you can't experience the ultimate victory that he has for you, the ultimate purpose that he has in design for your life, until you step in and you start fighting the first battle. So Moses goes to Joshua and said, Joshua, step in, man. Step out. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Step out. Step into the battle. Tomorrow, you go down there in the valley. You face our enemy. And I'm going to stand up on a hill and I'm going to hold a stick. Why would Joshua do that? I mean, seriously. Why would Joshua do that? Why would Joshua put his life on the line? That's what he's doing, right? He, he's stepping out. He's stepping into the battle. And he is literally putting his life absolutely on the line. And what is his assurance? Moses is standing on a hill holding a stick. Ah, but not any stick. Look at the text again. I put it in bold for you so you can't miss it. What does it say? He is holding the staff of God in his hand. This isn't just any stick. This isn't any stick. This is the stick that Moses has been using since Exodus 4 when God came to him in a burning bush and said, Moses, I have an incredible purpose for your life. I have a victory for you to win for me. I want you to go down and free my people from, Israel, from Egypt and I want you to take them out and lead them towards the promised land. And by the way, notice what he says. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to do what? 
perform the miraculous signs I will show you. What's going on? You see, the stick isn't just a stick. The stick is a reminder for Joshua and Moses and anybody in the battle that God fights for them. This stick is a stick that reminds them that God is a God who does miraculous things. It's the same stick. It's the same stick that Moses took and made the Nile and all the other water in Egypt turn to blood. It's the same stick that Moses took and he rose up and he, and he brought gnats, a plague of gnats and a plague of locusts. It's the same stick that he raised up and the hailstorm and a thunderstorm that's never been like it before happened in Egypt and totally decimated the land. It's the same stick that when they were out there and the sea was on this side and Pharaoh was attacking them on this side, Moses raises up the stick and the waters part and the people walk through on dry land and Pharaoh is absolutely devoured. This just isn't any stick. It's a stick that says God fights for us. What could make Joshua so strong and so courageous? All he had to do was look at the stick. He could enter into the battle because he knew without a doubt God was on his side. Now, you ready for the great thing? Here's the great thing. You don't have a stick. You have something better than the stick. I mean, it was just a stick. You, when you give your life to Christ, when you relinquish your life and say, I'm going to live strong and courageous because Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm going to surrender everything that I am and let him take over my life, you don't have just a stick. You have the Savior of the world, the King of the universe, the very Spirit of God going before you. J did you remember what, what God told Moses on the, on, when he said, go up on, on the mountain with the stick? Remember what he said? Do you remember what he said when he said, take the stick and strike the rock? Do you remember what he said? He said, I'll go before you. Do you remember that? I'll go before you. See, <laughs> We don't, have to, we don't have to rely on a stick. We can be strong and we can be courageous and we can face the things and the opposition and the battles that we like to ignore in our life. We can get into the grime. We can get into the grit. We can get into the battle because we know when we say Jesus is Lord, it's not our battle. It's his. It's his. The battle may have been taking place in the valley. The victory was taking place up on the hill. It was a done deal. Why? Because Moses had the stick. He had the stick. And Joshua could look at the stick. And if you follow the story, it says, as long as Moses held up the stick, as long as he held it up in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage. Whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Here's a principle. You win the victories when you let Jesus Christ fight the battle. You lose when you try to take it back. You lose when you try to take it back. You win the victory when you give Jesus Christ 
absolute control of your life. If you follow the Apostle Paul, he says, listen, we, we, we're human, but, but we don't wage wars humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We have at our disposal the spiritual weapons of warfare, of the power of the Son who sits on the throne of God. You can be strong and courageous. What do you need to do? Be strong and courageous and give your life to Jesus Christ and let him fight the battle. Stop trying to do it yourself. If you, if you look at Paul, Paul says to the Galatians, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Who's supposed to guide your life? Let, let the Holy Spirit go in front of you. Let the Holy Spirit fight the battle. And then Paul gives you a whole list of battles in this text. He gives you a whole list of oppositions that can come up in your life. And some of you, you're on the list. Be honest. As we go through the list, you're on the list. I know you're on the list. He says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, you try to do it yourself, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And don't worry, if I haven't hit you yet, if he hasn't got you yet, he puts the catch-all at the end, right? You ready for the catch-all? That's right. And other sins like these. That's his way of saying, okay, you're in. We're in. And the only way we're going to get victory is if we let the Holy Spirit go in front of us and we let the Holy Spirit fight the battle. And then he gives you a list at the end that says, look, here's the victory list. When you do this, here's the victory list. The victory list, the Holy Spirit produces things, this kind of fruit in your life, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good list. See, if we just surrender, we remember we have something better than a stick, and we let him fight the battles, he will achieve the victory. But you've got to surrender. That's our battle. You've got to surrender and simply say, Jesus is Lord. Now, here's the other assurance you get. Not only have the assurance of the stick, that is the assurance that the Holy Spirit goes before you, but God doesn't expect you to fight these battles alone. That, that when you say Jesus is Lord and you surrender to him, you, you don't have to fight the battle alone. Not only does he say, listen, I'll fight the battle. My Holy Spirit will go in front of you. But he also reminds us that there's other people in his family who are ready to come alongside you. Let, let's look at the example, Exodus 17 again with Moses. It says, Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold. So Moses is up there with a stick, right? He holds it up, victory's coming. Long day, lots of battling going on, and his arms get tired. Look what happens. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. What's going on? Well, Aaron and Hur came alongside Moses and said, Moses, we'll help you. We'll, we'll hold you up. 
We'll hold you up, pal, so we can win this victory. Imagine on that day. Think about this. Imagine on that day. Moses is getting ready to go up the mountain. Aaron and her are following behind. Imagine what would have happened if Moses would have stopped and done this. Uh, Aaron, her, hey, guys, love to hang out with you, but I got it. I can handle it. I'm okay by myself. So you guys stay in camp, hang out, drink some water. I got it. I'm good for it. No problem. I can deal with it. I got it. What would happen? And yet that's exactly what so many of us do. Isn't it? It's, so, it's what we do. I got it. I can handle it. No, you can't. That's the point. If you want to experience victory and be strong and courageous, you got to know opposition is going to come against you and you're on the list and you need to get into the battle and you need to let the Holy Spirit fight the battle because you totally surrender to Christ and you let other people come alongside you. Let them come alongside you. That's why we got all the groups we got around here. That's why we got men's group and we got women's group and we got Celebrate Recovery. We got, you know, Encounter for the Kids and we got, you know, our care team and we got a discipleship team that's forming. We got all this stuff going on. Why? So there's people that come alongside you. Because you don't have to fight this battle alone. You can't win this battle alone. You need the Holy Spirit to go before you and you need other people to fight. And as a result... Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. You see, when we do this, victory is ours. When we do this, victory is ours. James picks it up in the New Testament. James says, confess your sins to each 